but he speaks so well. With your host, Mr. Kinetic. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Buddy Speaks So Well with yours truly, Mr. Connecticut Street Correspondent. I'm glad to be back with you. It's been a little minute. Last episode was the cookout episode. I hope you all made sure that you checked that out, downloaded that, or shared that and still playing that. It's a good mix of music that we get down with in my family. Uh, so we're back. The new uh, episode. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a couple different things. School year is getting ready to uh, school year is getting ready to jump off. So back in that mode, back into thinking about uh, doing some great work this year with my colleagues and my students and families, and we'll you know see what we can do in our community, uh, create some kind of legacy and positive, productive, peaceful. So you know. I'm I'm uh I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it's been a really really good summer. Uh, almost done with this album. The album is titled Voyager. Um, as of right now, anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh I think it's 13 or 14 records, uh, something like that, and a remix on there. You know so. A uh, special shout out to Jason Wright for formerly known as Alpha Live and uh, the gentleman Alphonse for rocking with me this whole time. When I have questions and have things I need to talk about with my with my music, that's Jason is my guy. So uh, thank you so much, brother. I love you. Uh, thank you for being in my corner uh, through the creative process and uh, being available to help me get my head around what I want to do. So. I appreciate that. Uh, very grateful. Yeah, so, you know, I had the album, you know, got an album that's almost done. Um, I was in, <laughs> I was in the Indy Star, uh, the Indianapolis Star. Uh, Emily Robinson wrote a, wrote a story. Uh, she came and talked to me for a while. We sat and talked for a couple hours or whatever and just about uh, what it's like being an educator and still a musician and how those things work together and yeah, it was really cool to sit and spend that time with her and, and get to not only just uh, to talk about those things, but get a chance to think about those things. Um, I think like most people, I don't really spend a whole lot of time, I guess, uh, you know, maybe thinking about myself in that way. Um, I don't think a lot of us just sit around and try to or maybe I can't say what a lot of people do. I know I don't really sit and, and spend that kind of time um, trying to think about how these things all work together because they're just, uh, it's just what I do. So I don't think about it that way. But it was nice to be able to talk about it and kind of help me pull some ideas together and help me finish up the album, actually, um, being a part of that process and being able to sit down with her and talk about those things and, um, you know, be able to relive some stuff in my head and try to connect some dots that I hadn't really worked on trying to connect in a while. And yeah, it was cool. Uh, so a special shout out to Emily Robinson for that. Um, 
you can check her out. You just if you go to any of my pages, you can you can see the story. Uh, you can check on Instagram or on Twitter uh, at Mr. Kinetic K I N E T I K and uh, Facebook.com slash Sounds of Soul, or you can just search Mr. Kinetic, Mr. Kinetic.com as well. This is Buddy Speaks So Well. This is uh, where I talk about things that I think about and play music that I really enjoy for y'all. Uh, so we can share and share alike. It's really cool when people talk to me about stuff that they hear on the on the on the show. Or they ask me about it. What was that song at? Blah blah blah. Yeah. I really appreciate that. So thank you if you do that, if you're listening. Um I, I love it. Please engage with me about what you hear on here and let me know what you're up to and I wanna I wanna be into what you're what you're doing too. I wanna know what y'all are up to. So um I know a lot of talented people out here in the world. I like to know what everybody's got going on as much as I can get to it. It's cool. It's cool to be like, oh, man, I dig that. Or, man, I'm not really sure how I feel about that. So, anyway. So, since school is coming up, um, I like to think of a way to kind of capture what I believe about my practice and and my journey as an educator. And I would say if you're listening and you're, like, new to the profession or hopefully there's some new teachers listening, that'd be awesome. If you know somebody's a new teacher, I want you to share this with them. Start, like, grab your phone or whatever, hit the share button and send it to them. Um, I'm, so, I'm so glad that I, that I started my career surrounded by people who were really good at what they were doing already. Um, and uh, one person in particular who I was on, on my grade level team uh, would be John Stevenson. He was right across the hallway from me. He, we taught fifth grade together. Um, and he always was willing to share with me stuff that he had, <laughs> stuff that he had already learned in an, in an attempt to kind of smooth it out for me a little bit. Um, and that was how, that was the kind of relationship we had as, as coworkers. And I just DJed his daughter's wedding not too long ago. And, uh, so we're really close as my guy. Um, used to go bowling with John and everything. Go watch his band play. He plays drums and, you know, we go sit and eat and watch uh, <laughs> watch music videos during lunch. <laughs> uh, we would eat in our rooms. But anyway, uh, he, he always shared a lot of wisdom with me and uh, so did my principal, uh, Sharon Heathcock, um, who just passed uh, recently. Uh, it was earlier this year, I think, or maybe last year. Um, I'm not really good at, I don't really keep track of when people died like that. It's weird, um, to me anyway. I mean, I know I could figure it out, but off the top of my head, I can't remember. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't like it was five years ago or anything, but anyway, um, and I went to her funeral and it was, uh, it was great to be there and see people I hadn't seen in a long time that I used to work with. And, um, she gave me a shot at teaching. So, um, asked me to come be a part of her team in her building, which I w- which is very important. Um, as an educator, it's very important that um, when you're accepted to be a part of a school community, that means something. At least this, this is what I believe. I believe that it's important, and I believe that it means something to be a part of a school community and a school family. And I think that the more that educators believe in that and look at it 
in that sense. And yes, it is a business. Uh, it is our profession. It is something we have to do to earn a living. So I understand making decisions with that in mind as well. And, I, and I've done that and I will continue to do that. And I think there's a balance that has to be had. But at the same time, when you come into a school, you're a part of a new, you're a part of a community, you're a part of a family, you're a part of an, uh, an organization of talented individuals who are working to, uh, to walk alongside students and families as a community, almost a community service in, in a way that we are, we are serving truly the greater good, I guess, you know. The greater good. I am the greatest good. <laughs> Woman, where's my suit? Uh, shout out to the Incredibles, Frozone. Uh, probably one of my favorite Samuel L. Jackson roles. But anyway, so I always respected that. She asked me to be a part of it because I really kind of didn't know what I was doing, but um, I, I was I I had the the will, and I'm like I'm gonna figure this out. I'm a and I'm still like I still work with people who are way better educators than me, and I think that's great to be able to be in an environment like that. It's helpful. It always gives me something to shine uh, to to strive for, and you know, be like, dang, I want to I want to I want to be rocking like they are, you know. I don't want to do exactly what they're doing, but I want to have the same, I want to have that bam, that oomph, the same kind of oomph that they have. I think that's how it should be. We should look like that. We should want to, we should want to strive towards that. And so once you're a part of that school community and uh, people speak wisdom into your life uh, as an educator and as a person as well, uh, that's just important. So if you're new and you're listening, try to find find somebody in your building that you get that from. You got to find somebody and you have to be intentional about it. Maybe you have to go to your administrator and say, listen, I, it doesn't have to be in like a full mentorship role. But who can I who can I learn? Who should I go and learn from here? Like we should always continually be trying to learn from each other and make opportunities to be able to learn from each other. So we have to be intentional about getting an environment where we can do that. And uh, I believe that we should do that, but I don't think that we should wait to be told to do that. Um, I haven't always worked in places where I've had that strong of a connection with somebody. Um, but I've always been able to find someone that I could feel like, okay, this person will teach me something that I don't already know about the profession and about my craft. And I'm going to pay attention to what they do and I'm going to listen to them and I'm going to ask them about stuff as it happens. And I'm going to let them like teach me. So new teachers, experienced teachers, anybody that works in the building, we all should, we have to have that. We have to have somebody that we can do that with. Fortunately, where I work at now, there are several people that I, uh, that I really look at. And I'm like, yo, they, they nail it. And I'm trying to nail it too. So I'm trying to be, I want to have that. I want to have a as great of an impact as possible in the school community, um, and that requires time, and it requires talent, and it requires um, some sacrifice, and it requires some humility, and it requires some courage. Um, but it's it's so worth it. Uh, it's so worth it. That's not what I had in my notes to talk about in this segment, but I like that a lot better than what I wrote down. So. Um, which is weird. This is the most I've ever written down for a show guideline, and I already blew it in the first section. 
So whatever. So we're going to play some tunes. Now I'm trying a different setup this time. I'm just basically running this off of Serato. I'm doing my whole podcast through Serato now. Um, and then through the bridge and go through Ableton, which non-tech people are like, we don't know what that means. It's a software thing, but it's just different the way that I'm doing it. So basically it's going to be live on the fly instead of like segments and then going back and like doing like an edit to put the music in and then going back and recording the segment and putting stopping and all this stuff. I don't feel like doing that. So uh, anyway, so I'm going to play some tunes, a tune really, and uh, we're going to come back into the next segment. We're going to talk about my national endowment for the humanities seminar that I just finished uh, like a week or so ago. And uh, yeah, we'll talk more about that after the break. This is Buddy Speaks So Well with your host, Mr. Kinetic. Uh, and this next one right here, this is uh, one of my favorite tunes. Uh, I remember hearing this when I was younger. This is Umi Says by Most Def from Black on Both Sides. Like a man going insane. 
Sometimes I don't want to be bothered Sometimes I just want a quiet life Me and my baby, me and my lady Sometimes I don't want to get in the snowball Sometimes I don't want to be a soldier Sometimes I just want to be a man But me said shine your light on the world says right there from I called him most deaf earlier but I believe it's appropriate to call him Yasin Bey at this point uh, that's uh Umi says which is on his album Black on Both Sides which came out in 1999 and that record right there was in a Michael Jordan uh shoe campaign I think as well and according to the credits that I found, that's Will I Am playing the Fender Rhodes piano and the Great Weldon Irvine playing the the Hammond, the organ. And Weldon Irvine is a whoo monster. Weldon Irvine's uh I believe Weldon Irvine is from Jamaica, Queens. Uh and he was a really, really prolific, uh, in some senses, prolific uh, keyboard player in the 70s. And he's a part of a crew that would later include Marcus Miller, uh, Don Blackman, Tom Brown, which is a Jamaica, Funkin' for Jamaica, uh, Bernard Wright. And we saw that little crew, some jams in there. There's that whole little crew right there. Just all the people I just named. You just rewind that and look all those names up. Some funk in that crew of people. But, yeah. So, Umi says, it's a tune. Back here on Buddy Speaks So Well. And this is Mr. Kinetic. And, uh, yeah. So, this segment, I'm going to talk about my NEH seminar. NEH is a National Endowment for the Humanities, which is a government program 
that at last check was up for possible cancellation through budget cuts underneath, uh, I believe, Trump's uh, budget proposal. Uh, you can tell him that I said that's a terrible idea. So if you see him or get a chance to talk to him, you can tell him that's a bad idea. Part of why I wanted to apply, I was really interested in the topic, but I also wanted to apply from a sense of I feel like it's the right thing to do if we see these programs that are offered, especially if they're in danger of being uh, eliminated. If we see them and they're offered, we should try to make sure that we participate in those things. I think that's a part of living in a democracy is participating through um, things that are affiliated with the government on some levels. Um, I think a lot of times people, people's idea of things you can get from the government I don't think people think about grants that uh, support learning and things like that. But I mean, I had never really, I didn't know much about it before now. Um, and I saw it in our faculty bulletin where I work and I just made a note to make a, make it a point to keep the date in mind, in mind for the deadline and I applied. And uh, the, the program was here at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, which is IUPUI. And it was taught by Dr. Edward Curtis IV, he's a religion uh, studies professor uh, at IUPUI, and his primary, uh, one of his, I guess, I don't know if it's his primary area of expertise. He's a smart dude. He knows a lot of stuff. Um, but Islam is really what it was about. It was about is, uh, Muslims in America um, or Muslim American identities. So the whole time what we were, what we were looking at is the historical um, you know, the h historical uh, flow, I guess, or I don't know how to call it, just the history of Muslims in America, uh, Muslims in America, excuse me, for my Americanization. Uh, I'm still trying, Dr. Curtis. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so basically, the majority of the reading that we did, which we did quite a bit, came from a textbook um, that is a collection of primary source documents that have been written by uh, Muslims in America. And if you give me a second, I'll look up the title. But that's uh, what we came together to study. And we spent three weeks. It was, I think, 16 of us from all over the country, uh, educators of all walks of life, all different kinds of, you know, just everything. A very, very well put together group of people that was diverse in, in as many ways as you can think of uh, and highly knowledgeable people who were serious about their craft and, and mostly, more importantly, I should say, serious about being able to have more informed perspectives about Muslims in America because either they were working with Muslims or they were teaching in areas where they would be teaching about Islam. So the name of the book is the Columbia source book of Muslims of Muslims in the United States. Uh, and it's by Edward E. Curtis, the fourth, he's the editor. Um, I highly recommend it. Primary source documents are one of the best ways, if not the best way to look at history where they're available. We should always, in a well-rounded history discussion or history pursuit of knowledge, include the primary source documents. And what I mean by that is from people who are in 
whatever time period and specificity, like specific area that we're studying. So if we're going to talk about Muslims in America, we should read primary source documents from Muslims in America. And that's what we did. Um, American, uh, I mean, you could call them American Muslims or Muslims in America, however you want to look at it. They were people that lived in America and identified themselves as American that were also Muslims. And it may seem repetitive to keep hammering that, but I mean, honestly, how many of us have really taken the time to really pursue that area of, of history? I mean, maybe some of us have. Maybe some of you listening are like, oh, yeah, I've already done all that. I hadn't. So <laughs> one of the most beautiful things that I can recall from the experience is when we were in the, in the beginning, we started talking about, of course, we went through, as, as Dr. Curtis would call it, Islam 101, which would be the five pillars and different practices and, you know, those kinds of things like um, all the different, I don't want to call them standard, but the the, the real basic parts of Islam, which would be, of course, I put myself on the spot. I mean, it's like, what do you say is the most basic stuff of Islam? See, this is the problem. Even saying that, and this leads to my point, even saying that, like, I'm already getting myself into a complicated spot. What, one thing we kept coming back to in, our, in the course of our seminar was that, you know, just the phrase, it depends on who you ask. Because there are a lot of things just like everything else that you've ever looked at in your life, where there, some things there was consensus, some things were, you know, there was different opinions and different perspectives and different ways of proving it um, with, without, uh, without making this really, really complicated. Um, and not because really, if I'm going to talk about, uh, I can only talk about so much of this before it'll be like, I, you got to really get all the way into it. And, and that could be a whole podcast in itself. But the, I mean, the basic five pillars, so the Shahada, which is the statement of faith, Salat, which is prayer, um, most commonly thought of as, you know, five times a day, but it's not always five times a day. That, that's, some people don't pray five times a day um, because there's a difference in practice in some, some forms of Islam or schools of Islam. There's, I mean, there's just... Even that, it's like, <laughs> let me stop, hold on real quick, because I want to make sure I get that right. It can be, there's a difference between Sunni and Shia and practice of prayer. Nevertheless, um, you can clear it up for me if you want to, or you can go look it up um, if you want more in-depth. But, so Salat is the, you know, obligatory praying. Then zakat, and I think I'm saying these correctly, is charity or almsgiving. Then psalm, which is fasting. Most people associate that with Ramadan, um, which is a month of fasting based off of the lunar calendar. Um, so it rotates. It's not always in, in the same time of year. And then the Hajj, which is the pilgrimage to Mecca. So you have those things, and we learned about some of that stuff, and as you can tell, I'm still, I mean, I don't consider myself an expert after three weeks of looking at um, something that I had only previously looked at in the scope of a small chunk of a class or two in college. 
Um, but I had some of the basics down. So I knew, I knew about all those things. I couldn't have named them, but I knew them. I knew what the Hajj was. I knew Ramadan. For sure, I knew what those were. Um, you know, it's the Hajj is a pilgrimage to Mecca that all Muslims should try to make um, in their lifetime, which is, if you really want to get into something that's interesting, you can go and do some research behind, like, the Hajj and, like, how many people are there and, like, Different countries can only send certain amounts of people because it's like you can, there's just can't be too many people there. I mean, it's it's very impressive the the workflow and how it even comes together to bring millions of people to one place at the same time. Um, yeah, it's amazing. But so we looked at those things, but then we also uh, talked about you know we we immediately got into the sources. Uh, the the primary source documents and one of them that we read was om by by a man named Omar Ibn Said, um, and it was written in 1831. And he was from West Africa. If you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen some of this already. But he was from West Africa, and he was in North Carolina at the time as a slave. But he wrote his autobiography in Arabic, and he began part of his autobiography with a passage from the Quran. Um, and so, I mean, basically, the, and there are some people that are going to hear this in there if they, if they get a chance to hear this, because y'all know how I feel about this. I, I, want, I always want you to share it with people that you think might not agree with any of it. I, I really, I'm cool with that. Um, I welcome that. That's cool. I, like, I, I welcome the idea of challenging what we know and what we believe. That's cool. Um, to, with me anyway, I'm okay with that. But there have been Muslims here since the beginning of the country. Um, now, you got to think if he was in 1831, I'm not sure how old he was at that point, but it's pretty logical to say that he wouldn't have been the only one. And since we were, uh, well, since slaves, well, since Africans were being brought from West Africa into slavery, in the Western Hemisphere as early as the 1600s, right? I mean, it's a long time. Um, I mean, it's plausible to say that there's always been some amount of Muslims that were here. Um, they just would have been African more than likely. Um, and so when you think about that, we have been given, or people have tried to give us this idea that Islam is, cannot be American. And cannot be something that can uh, be fully a part of American society that Muslims are not also Americans. And, or at least that is what I believe is the message that has been given repeatedly. Um, particularly now after sitting through that seminar for three weeks, there are numerous examples of significant movements of Muslims in America and different attempts to some were were really, really focused on being able to integrate into society and assume and grasp and have as many parts of American life be a part of their lives as also as well because they saw it as a point of access. There are movements that look to fully um, move out but within the country 
to have their own space. There are um, there are movements that sought to. I mean, generally, just establish that yes, we are also we are Muslims, and but we we want to live here and we want to be a part of the country, and that's you know we will participate in this and that, and same things that you would expect from people who are non-Muslims, we will be a part of those things too. There's there's different movements that embody all of those philosophies and even more philosophies than that. It gets extremely nuanced after a while, but um, Muslims are Muslims that live in America. I mean, they're just as American as. Christians that live in America and Buddhists and uh, Jews and um, non, uh, I guess the nuns, which, you know, non-practicing of any kind of faith. I mean, uh, I mean, that's really just the, one of the biggest takeaways, but it was that knowledge of, I mean, I kind of had always, I had, I remember talking about that in college, but it wasn't something that I knew anything about growing up I didn't know that I mean I didn't know that information about like Muslim Muslims were writing their own autobiography you know in North Carolina like oh you know I know nothing about that um or about the story about I can't think of his name off the top of my head but he was a, a Muslim who came here and then once he became free he like sought the freedom of his family and wanted to be able to return with his family back to West Africa. Um, and this is happening around the time that Andrew Jackson begins to make a move to be the the president and he ends up winning. And, you know, Andrew Jackson is a huge racist. And so, you know, there's that and all those complex levels. And I mean, being a Muslim in America has always had its complexities, uh, you know, even along with that, because it's you know, there's uh, most most slaves weren't really allowed to openly practice their religion. And so a lot of slaves ended up having to be, you know, whatever their master was. And I mean, there's just so many levels. And like, as I stand here and try to try to even explain all of what I've grasped from that experience, it's even hard to do that. It's just so much. But the biggest thing is that the reason why I wanted to be a part of the seminar was that we have a we don't have a large Muslim population in my building uh, where I, at the schoolhouse, but we do have Muslims in the school and in the community. And so I think it's important that educators are informed about as much as we can be informed about any group of people that are a part of our school population, but particularly for Muslims right now because of all of the just Islamophobic things that continue to permeate our daily uh, like just are, are they're just so out there um, and in the front of a lot of things and things that, you know, whether you call it a travel ban or a ban against Muslims, I mean, I think it's a ban against Muslims, but whatever. Um, calling it a travel ban just, you know, is more trickery than anything else. But that and still having... You know, you know, a young lady died earlier this year uh, during Ramadan. You know, she was beaten and uh, she had on a, you know, her hijab and like, you know, with her friends and like that, that kind of stuff is still going on. And people, uh, six being attacked because people think that they are Muslims and people being ridiculed on Twitter because they're, you know, 
are on a plane and people think that, you know, making quote unquote jokes about them being terrorists. I mean, that thing is, that is, that is very much a part of our, our, our life, our lives right now in America. And so if we have young people that are entering our school buildings that are Muslims, we need to know uh, what that, we need to know more about what that could mean. And I don't want to say what that does mean because that makes it definitive, but what it could mean for them as Muslims in America and what are some of the past experiences of Muslims. We need to know those things if we intend to be open and positive and productive and peaceful with our students and our families, we need to know those things. So that's why I wanted to go. Um, I'm super thankful for what I picked up while I was there, but it's so much. Um, I just can't wait to get back to school. And in general, I'm really excited about this school year. I just got a good feeling about everything. Uh, just coming in, you know, hitting, you know, hitting uh, all the gears or everything is just, you know, is on the one right now. So I'm excited about it, but yeah. Sorry for rambling about that, I guess. But isn't that what this is about on the podcast? I'm kidding. But not really. Uh, (laughs) So check it out. We're going to go into the next section. I'm going to play a tune by Weldon Weldon Irvine. This is called We Getting Down. You might, this might be familiar to some of you. This is Buddy Speaks So Well with Mr. Kinetic. Thank you for tuning in.
Weldon Irvine with Weekend Down from his 1975 album Spirit Man. Weldon Irvine, at one point in time, he was the band leader for Nina Simone. And he is responsible for one of the greatest. Excuse me. <laughs> he is responsible for one of the greatest uh, songs and declarations of uh, black love and self-assurance. Uh, to be young, gifted, and black, which most people know from Nina Simone's version. Donnie Hathaway has a version as well, but Nina Simone uh, is the original singer of that record, and he wrote the lyrics for that. So whether you knew who he was or not, you knew who he was if you knew that song. Um, but anyway, that song that we just played uh, right here, We Getting Down, is from... Yeah, I bet the, mo the most common use of that would be award tour by a tribe called Quest. So if you picked up on that. But anywho, you're right back here with me on Buddy Speaks So Well. And uh, in this next segment, y'all know how I feel about grocery store music, grocery store jams. You know, that's if you've been listening for a while, you know that that's uh, a big part of my life. And uh, one that I was thinking about, it's been on my mind because I've seen, oh God, A Secret Life of Pets way too many times now. But And Lovely Day is in that movie by Bill Withers. And it is like, that is a song that, you know, I, I get, people can have their own reaction to music, but man, if you don't, if you don't feel good when that comes on, you were just you're blocking it then, cause that is like, you know, from the first, from the first little bit of it, like it just, like come on, man, like how do you hear that and not, and not feel good? Like that that song is great, and uh, I mean it's also like perfect produce section, you know, sing along music because it's the hook is literally. Uh, and I know it's going to be a lovely day. Like, he just, lovely day, lovely day. That's the hook, lovely day, lovely day. Like, even if you can't sing, you can get down with that. Um, but Bill Withers, I mean, he just, that song is, oh, so amazing. So, so amazing. And that note at the end is like 18 seconds long. Apparently, it's like the longest note that's been held on a top 40 record here in, in the United States. Uh, I mean, just like, now that song only I made it to six on the Billboard R&B chart in 1977 and number 30 on the Hot 100 chart in early 1978. So, you know, not necessarily something that you would go out and call like a, you know, just a, I mean, it's not a hit by, by you know, by record industry standards. I'm sure they probably were like, yeah, well, that's good, but um, yeah, we need a number one. We need a number one hit out of you. I'm sure somebody in the company said that to him. It was number one in France, though, at one point in time, during that same time period. So that's, there's that. That's interesting. These See, these are the things I do. 
uh, just in case you're wondering, like, I like to sit and look at songs and and learn more about just, you know, songs and albums and then look at the chart, like, where where did it chart at? And I don't know. It's fun to do. I do it on spare time. But um, one thing I did just learn, I guess, I don't, I don't know if I knew this. Um, Ray Parker Jr. is playing, uh, he's playing guitar on that record. Jerry Knight is playing bass on that record. Jerry Knight was in radio uh, with Ray Parker Jr. Uh, so he's playing bass on that. And then let's see. Who else we got on here? Clarence McDonald on keyboards. Not super hip to Clarence McDonald. Let's see. Let's do a little quick little read. Is there anything he's done? Oh, oh. He uh, produced the Emotions album that had Best of My Love on it with uh, Maurice White. Hey, he won a Grammy for that. So I guess I do know who he is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, see, that's the cool thing about music. Like, you might not, you might think you don't really know these people, but then you go and you know who they are. You just don't know their their name or you can't, like, identify them right away. Then Russ Kunkel is playing drums. Let's see. I don't know too much about him, but let's see if he's on anything that I've ever... Mm. I don't know. Mm -mm. I don't really see anything uh, that I would really know. Some of everybody, though. Um, Bob Dylan, uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Neil Diamond. Uh, Don Henley. B.B. King at one point in time, really? Carol King, Lyle Lovett. Man, dude, it's a weird resume. Joni Mitchell, uh, Stevie Nicks. Hmm. Diana Ross. Bob Seeger, like me, Carly Simon. Yeah, oh, that's the guy's playing drums on on Lovely Day, though. And then you got Ralph McDonald. I mean, how could you, you know, Ralph McDonald. Has been on. Ooh, he's been on a ton of stuff. He wrote uh, "Where's the Love," which is um, Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway, and he wrote. He's one of the writers for "Just the Two of Us," which is another Grover Washington, Grover Washington and Bill Withers. Um, apparently, he's uh, one of the songwriters for "Mr. Magic" by uh, by Grover Washington Jr. He is the songwriter for that. Yeah, that's a huge record. And in its lane. Yeah, so Ralph McDonald's playing percussion. I got a couple of records by him. They're uh they're all right. There are some breaks on them. He played on Breezing with George Benson. Um that's really how I knew who he was growing up, because um that was an album that got played quite a bit. I used to wake up to that album in like seventh grade. So I would listen to Breezing. And it starts with that like flute, harp. Like orchestra intro, like something like that. I'll play it after I play "Lovely Day." But anyway, "Lovely Day" is just—it's a great tune. We're gonna play it because that's uh, something I want to do on my show. I want to play records that that I really like and talk about them. So I'm gonna play "Lovely Day." I'm gonna play at least part of "Breezing" after this, so you can hear that intro. So you don't you're not left with me butchering it. And then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more right here on "Buddy Speaks So Well." Thank you. 
wake up in the morning, love And the sunlight hurts my eyes And something without warning, love Bears heavy on my mind Then I look at you And the world's all right with me Just one look at you And I know it's gonna be A lovely day Tune. And then here's the intro to Breezing. How about George Benson? 
my apologies. I said that it was like a harp. That is not a harp. That is a flute. That's just a section of flutes. Anyway. I mean, how about this one? Uh. Today's high is 75 degrees with clouds sparingly throughout the day. Wind to the northwest at 8 miles an hour with lows reaching 58 degrees this evening. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I think at one point, didn't they play... Didn't they play George Benson stuff on uh, Weather Channel at one point? I have this memory of that as a child, watching the weather the eight on the eights of the hour. They would show the they would show your local forecast, um, which would you know? Yes, children listening at home. At one point in time, that was the fastest way to know the weather. <laughs> Didn't have anything to pull out of my pocket and look at the weather. I remember you used to have to wait on the eights because I that was like back when we were living in Texas. And it'd be tornado time, you know. You and you knew something was going on outside because you would look. But you're like, let's get on Weather Channel real quick and find out what's going on. But anyway, this is Buddy Speaks So Well, Mr. Kinetic, and uh, I just want to thank you for hanging out with me this episode today. Uh, just to recap, we talked about you know being a part of a professional community um, and continuing to learn as a teacher or as an educator and doing the best for our students and communities and families. Talked about uh, Muslim American identities, learning more about the Islam and the perspectives of Muslims in America and their views and beliefs and habits and practices and all the complexities uh, and the beauty of an amazing, amazing part of our society and part of our world. And Talked about uh, Bill Withers, lovely day. You know. So, grocery store jam. Certified grocery store jam. Breezing is also a certified grocery store jam. Uh, without a doubt. It's 100% a grocery store jam. So, let's see. You know, that's pretty much the end of the show, but I want to make sure we we head out with something, with something funky. It ain't, it ain't, uh, it's been funky, but not not quite funky enough, if you feel what I'm saying. So we're going to head out of here with some super duty tough work funk from none other than Junie Morrison. Rest in peace to the legendary Junie Morrison. Uh, was a member of Ohio Players and a member of Funkadelic and also has countless uh, other contributions outside of those realms and his own solo work. And he passed earlier this year. Um, Fortunately, had the opportunity to to be able to exchange some dialogue with him via email and Twitter uh, several times over the last couple of years. And he added a couple of my tunes to his radio station when he had the online radio station he was doing. And um, just was really an awesome dude. Really, every time I talked to him, he always had something awesome to say, had some advice or wisdom about being a musician and ways to look at things. And so really miss his presence, but you know, he left behind a lot of really dope music. And this next one is from his second solo album, which is called Freeze. This cut is called Super J. This is from Junie Morrison. And this is Buddy Speaks So Well. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you hit subscribe, share it with somebody. Until next time, make sure you're doing something that's positive, productive, and peaceful. I love you, and I'll holla at you later.